0: America, live, this is Point of View. And now, Pitta Dexter.
1: Thank you very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. It's interesting sometimes how our programs come together, because we are a three-hour show, if you don't know that. Some of you are listening in Texas and other places that perhaps carry the first two hours, and then we have a third hour. And so we have a lot of content in that three hours, and it all came together surrounding issues that concern women. That is not to say that you guys should turn out. In fact, you are going to learn so much today that you are not going to want to miss this. But uh, another part of this is it it is Women's History Month, and so it's sort of appropriate, I think, that we're speaking uh, about issues that uh, most importantly and deeply affect women but they do affect the culture and today I have uh, a guest in studio that I have not met before although she has been a guest here on point of view before her name is Dr. Brooke Jones and she runs an organization called stronger women it was stronger than expresso there's been a, a name change there's been a nationalization of this ministry and uh, basically what this organization does it exists so survivors can reclaim what abuse has taken away and uh, it's got a lot of pieces and parts and arms it's growing Uh, there's a curriculum Uh, there are various groups that meet together and uh, so but Dr. Jones started all of this and she's got a bachelor's degree in entrepreneurship a master's in education and also since she started this organization she's obtained a doctorate in theology Making her qualified, but I think uh, the biggest qualifier, Brooke, is the fact that the Lord really spoke to you and caused you to start this ministry, didn't he?
2: Oh, absolutely. And by the way, it's such a pleasure to be welcomed back again on the show. Um, and thank your listeners for everything that they do and everything that you do here on Point of View. Um, yeah, the Lord really began um, this ministry in my life in 2006. Now, it wasn't just out of the blue. Uh, Let me take you back a little bit Mm -hmm. further. Um, My story is one, like many of the women um, and individuals that we help with our programs, I was a survivor of childhood abuse and childhood sexual abuse, which led its way to teen dating, teen dating, violence, sexual abuse, sexual assault, which also led to a young adult, young woman who began relationships that were abusive. And they were also domestic violence relationships. Now, the saddest part was that I didn't know that these relationships were abusive. I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the skills. I didn't have the knowledge or awareness that I was in these abusive relationships. You just thought this is the way life is. That's exactly what I thought. I thought that I deserved to be treated this way, that there was something wrong with me, that perhaps I was the one who was crazy and that I was the one who had to try to make things better. But unfortunately, because I didn't understand that abusive relationships are about power and control, and I was aligning myself with individuals that were abusing me, and I didn't know that I could begin a process to remove myself from these relationships.
1: What happened to to bring that realization to you?
2: Well, it it really came over a period of time in the early in my early two thousand, uh, around two thousand three. So about, I mean, what? Not to ask you to reveal your
1: age, but what age were you when that started happening? This was in
2: my thirties. Okay, okay. So in my thirties, and I had been through a number of abusive relationships, and. Again, because of how I was raised, my childhood, the teen, there was a formation of what relationships were supposed to be like. When I got into new relationships, they were extremely loving. They were charismatic. They were all that I wanted to have, I thought I was des- I deserve love just like everybody else. The problem was I didn't know the signs and, and um, symptoms of an abusive relationship, and I was confused as to what love was. The challenge with abusive relationships is they're about power and control. Once I was involved, either through marriage or through a dependence of some kind, then everything changed. So, for example, when I was married, so if you
1: commit yourself, then it starts.
2: Yes. So in my uh, last uh, abusive relationship, I had a career. I was financially independent. I was in my late 20s, let's say. And I met somebody who was supposed to be, you know, the 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 dream. Right. Finally, it was my turn. Every sign said Go. Everyone around me said, this is a wonderful person. You should really go, Brooke. Finally, I think you're going to have your dreams come true. As soon as we were married, we had a quick romance, which is what typically happens. You have a quick romance. So a lot of the signs, the jealousy, these are things that you don't recognize right away. Um, you, you quickly, we quickly got married. As soon as I was married, the first thing he said is, we need to move away from here. I need you to quit your job. I need you to move away from your family and friends. And once we're alone, Brooke, we can spend all our time together. We can write our own love story. Now, when you step back from that perspective, that sounds very real. It sounds very appealing Um and it sounds really appropriate for a healthy relationship. But what I didn't know is those were the signs, big warning signs of an abusive relationship to get me dependent, financially, and also to put me in isolation. The minute that we moved away, I was financially dependent. Everything that I had known before changed. Abuse like I had never seen before began. It was a verbal machine gun spray on a daily basis of foul language, destruction of heirlooms. Um, even one day I walked out and my car was gone. And I said, where's my car? And he said, oh, I've sold your car. I will be taking you everywhere you need to go. Wow. So imagine, I imagine you were. Well, then I started to realize realizing. danger increased, as abuse often does. verbal abuse lays way to other abuse, which eventually laid way to uh, extreme physical violence, that I ended up in an emergency room. Even there, in an emergency room, talking to doctors, police, saying, have you heard about this thing called domestic violence? What do you think I said sitting there in the hospital room? I said, that's not me. (laughs) No, that's not me. You mean they
1: asked questions that were good questions and you would deny? I
2: I wasn't ready. Okay. If I was to say yes, Mm -hmm. I would have had to accept something that that was for other people. That wasn't for me. Wow. I eventually was able over the next few months to begin to realize because violence was escalating to such a degree that if I didn't leave and didn't try to get away from this relationship, I was only going to leave in a body bag. Wow. It was getting that severe. When I finally had the courage to leave, a lot of people think, well, you're done with the relationship. It's in your rearview mirror. You know, you move on. But I think they are not understanding the long arm of a domestic relationship. It's very different. And I'd love to talk more about that in a minute. Yes.
1: And also we need to let people know, because this story might be ringing true to some listeners, how they can get help because you've actually started a growing ministry to help people. So we'll talk about that. Stay with us, ladies and gentlemen. Brooke Jones is my guest. We'll have more right after this.
3: This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Has Christianity made a positive impact on Western civilization? Most Christians would wholeheartedly agree with that statement. In the past, atheists have usually pointed to how religion has been abused and misused and rarely acknowledged the contribution of Christianity to society. Richard Dawkins is one of the most prominent new atheists, yet, even he has begrudgingly admitted that a belief in God has made a difference. He expressed his fear that the removal of religion would be a bad idea for society because it would give people license to do really bad things. He likens the idea of God to surveillance, or as he puts it, the divine spy camera in the sky. People generally tend to do the right thing when someone is watching them. They tend to do bad things when no one is watching. He does go on to add that the great spy camera theory isn't a good reason for him to believe in God. John Rice Davis is an actor who has been in Lord of the Rings films, Indiana Jones films, and many others. Recently he noted that we seem to forget that Christian civilization has made the world a better place. He reminded us that we owe Christianity the greatest debt of thanks that a generation could ever have. Now you might expect him to say such things since he is the lead actor in the film about St. Patrick. I might mention that I Am Patrick will be shown in theaters later this week. What you may not expect is that he actually describes himself as a rationalist and skeptic. He may not be a Christian, but he can see what so many of us have seen. Christianity has been a positive influence in society. Essentially, Western civilization rests on a Christian foundation, and it is encouraging that even atheists and skeptics can see that. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. From
4: CDN Films, I am Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland. I am Patrick, in select theaters, two days only, March 17th and 18th. I am Patrick.com.
0: You're listening to Point of View, your listener-supported source for truth. Welcome back to
1: Point of View. Uh, Brooke Jones is with me, and her organization is Stronger Women formerly stronger than espresso you can find out more by going to pointofview.net and clicking through you'll see brook's picture and you can go to their website that way or is it stronger.org what is your
2: uh it's right now it's stronger uh than okay. our new website is strongerwomen.com and um, but they can also go to stronger123.com and that'll uh, bring them in contact okay. with us okay so yeah. all of
1: that if you're trying to write down a website but If you're just uh, clicking through for your own, um, for yourself right now, you can just go to pointofview.net, and we've got her linked. And you know this organization is so important because these things that happen to young women, um, they don't go away by themselves. Usually, when you have a relationship like you mentioned, that wasn't your first abusive relationship, first of all. And then, um, in order to stop, I don't know whether you people just accept or attract that type of relationship, but I've seen it uh, before and I'm sure you have in your ministry. So how do you, uh, number one, how do you avoid getting into another one of those? What are the steps to, um, I mean, you're obviously traumatized. So you want to do something and you don't want to repeat it, but some people don't know how to get out of the cycle.
2: Absolutely. So there's a number of great questions that you have in there. No, it's wonderful. We may just take a few minutes and break that down even more Um, because I personally know how difficult it is, and I I didn't want to be in abusive relationships. That was not my intention. And over time, what happened with those around me is they began to say things like, wow, Brooke, you always seem to pick people who are abusive, or maybe they didn't even use that word. They said, aren't very good for you. And that sort of began this belief of myself that there was something wrong with me okay and the way that i picked and what that piece of it is that that person like myself we need to really understand what the signs and symptoms of abusive relationships are so we don't repeat them how early can you see that in a friendship um you know it's interesting because romantic and friendships have a lot of the same characteristics of red flags um When you look back with hindsight, you actually can see the red flags a lot more clearly than you can. Okay, so especially when we have women coming together in our small groups, which are our survivor support groups, there's so much healing that can happen because they begin to share their personal stories and they validate with one another that they could possibly have been either in a relationship with the same person. Right. They're not. But it tells us that the characteristics of abusive people are very consistent. So when you see someone who wants to rush in to a quick courtship dating situation, um, really wants to make us very together, very close, um, that is a huge red flag. The other red flag is any type of isolation. Now, it's typically cloaked with Let's build our story together. Let's spend more time together because we love each other so much, right? So it has this sort of uh, perspective that it's loving, but it can quickly turn from love to control, right? So where they begin to track perhaps what's on your phone, they begin to track your mileage. They say, oh, I just put a GPS locator on your phone just so I can know where you are. (laughs) Little things like Mm -hmm. that. I also know that abuse uh, continues to escalate. So if you are a person, and this is whether you are a female in a relationship or a male in a relationship, if it's an abusive relationship, you will begin to recognize verbal abuse. Things like, well, if you weren't so stupid, we could have finished that. Okay. Things are always your fault. hmm Words that begin to cut and erode someone's value, their respect, and their self-esteem, things that are emotionally abusive. you know, you really are a terrible mother. If I wasn't here, nobody would love you.
1: You know these things that you're saying right now, they almost feel like physical blows, but as I listen to them, yes, they're, uh, <laughs> they're not
2: normal conversation, even for someone who's mad or upset with you or angry. Absolutely, you were correct. And the, the, there is a belief, I think, that fortunately is transforming, um, just in general understanding of abuse. There was a belief that if it wasn't physical or it didn't have physical yeah. violence, that it really wasn't that bad. Uh, what we have come to learn and what we should have learned on the schoolyard a long time ago is sticks and stones. They do break your bones and someone who is destructive with their words can literally erode a person's self-worth. Their tongue can be this gigantic weapon, right? And what happens is maybe the first time we minimize it or we justify, well, they had a bad day or, you know, maybe I didn't really think through that. Maybe I w- was my fault. But what happens is these, whether it's emotional abuse, verbal abuse, even physical, Physical can be indirect or direct. I can threaten your pet. I can threaten your children. I can threaten to destroy something you care deeply about. That's indirect abuse, yeah. but it is as dangerous to a human being's like well-being and safety as physical abuse. And they are like physical blows. And you can turn a normal, healthy, beautiful human being into a hollow shell of a person just by the things you do and and the things you say and this is not a normal relationship it's an abusive relationship
1: so brooke uh, over the years you've taken uh what happened to you and you explained to me before the show that you really felt god spoke to you and i i believe that because i see what's been birthed out mm-hmm. of uh, out of that but uh now you have this organization it's called stronger women and it um just Explain to our listeners what it's about and how it's designed to help the person who has experienced some sort of abuse.
2: Yes. So, um, as we talked before the show, 2006 was really the seed of the organization. In 2013 is when I started the first small group. I really felt God driving us to say, we need support groups. We need people to come together to really bring a voice to what they've experienced and that really is um So was this just done uh, through a church or just locally in your neighborhood or how did you start s- it? So I, I started writing the curriculum back in really 2010 is when I really started and by 2012 I had this uh curriculum um is this the pink book people call it the pink book okay. this is what and, and there may be some listeners out there that have heard about the pink book we have used this curriculum for 8 years and it has been uh in anointed if you will i say i put the pen to paper but god did a lot more through me in that process so we began that first group and it became evident that when um, survivors, people who've experienced abuse, um, when they come together, they begin to share their stories. It allows them to have spiritual healing. It allows them to have a physical healing from the emotional, the trauma that they've experienced. And also that whole emotional uh, healing process by just bringing a voice to what they've gone through. They begin to learn how to set healthy boundaries learn communication skills, and they learn ways to begin to change. Sometimes they can't change the actual relationship because sometimes the abuse relationship is still there. It's not about I'm going to leave this behind. There are times when they can and they cannot. But if they are more equipped with practical tools to help themselves stay more resilient during these traumatic moments, they themselves are going to come out on a stronger side. So the, so the groups, can you ever
1: change the abuser with um, the way you react to them.
2: So it's not about my reaction is not going to change an abuser. I do believe that abusers can change, but the person responsible for the change is the person who is abusing. And the key piece of that is they have to become aware and evident that what they're doing is abusive to another person. Okay, and so I can do all the boundary setting I want, and I can use all the healthy communication skills. But an abusive person does not recognize those as appropriate communication, and so they're—it's not—they're not, they're not going to respond like you and I would if we had a conflict. You and I would mm-hmm. go through a process of listening, validating, and resolving the conflict in the best gonna of our go- that. That's not going to happen because it's not about. Equality. It's about power and control. And if I don't have power and control over you, then I then you're not in the you're not important to me. Okay. Wow. Uh, ladies and gentlemen,
1: we've got another thirty minutes with Dr. Brooke Jones, and I will open up the phones eight hundred three five one one two one two. If you would like to perhaps uh, share a story or ask a question, uh, but I have a lot of questions myself uh, for um, for Dr. Jones. I'm so interested in. Um, this process that can help so many women who I think have um, in previous generations been silent. And now just, just because of sort of the climate, uh, are encouraged to speak up a little bit more. And that's a good thing. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
4: We live in a digital generation. Point of View is reaching this often overly plugged in generation with truth. You can keep up with us 24 hours a day using your phone, your tablet, your laptop, or your desktop. Search for the Point of View Radio Talk Show on Facebook, where you can keep up with today's issues. Learn about current and upcoming guests by liking us on Facebook. Also, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Point of View RTS. That stands for Point of View Radio Talk Show. Learn, interact, interact. Make a difference with Point of View using new media. And here's one way you can make a big difference. Help us increase our reach by spreading the word among your friends. Share a Facebook post. Tag us in a tweet. With enough joining us to plant seeds, we'll see a tremendous harvest. Come on, it only takes a minute. Search for Point of View Radio Talk Show on Facebook. At Point of View RTS on Twitter. And subscribe to the Point of View Radio Talk Show channel on YouTube. Learn, interact, share. The Point of View Radio Talk Show. Point of View will continue after this.
0: You are listening to Point of View the opinions expressed on point of view do not necessarily reflect the views of the management or staff of this station. And now here again is Pina Dexter.
1: My guest in studio is Dr. Brooke Jones, founder and president of stronger women, formerly stronger than expresso. you can find out a lot more. Uh, if you go to their beautiful website, you can do that by clicking through, um, to point of view. net. And, um, Brooke, I I do want to talk to you about some of the offshoots now that are that are being created because I have noticed in abusive relationships uh, often then if children are involved in that home uh, then uh, they end up sometimes suffering also either from that same perpetrator or just from that atmosphere. So you now have seen that and you are actually dealing with teenagers and also uh, parents um and their own children that so if if a parent is abused if a mom has been abused and she's been in an abusive relationship often
2: her daughter will be correct or it can happen yes so in the work that we had done over those years since 2013 every year every mom that came through our program they would say to us thank you for helping me now what about my daughter and what we found was if close to 100% of the moms with a teenage daughter or son, because remember abusive relationships can happen to any Mm -hmm. boys or girls, or it's not just women or it's not just men. But what we found is that abusive homes lead way to the family, not really understanding ways to treat each other with love and respect and equality. And so it leaves gaps. And what we found is mothers were like, "What, what do you have for my teen?" So, When I got this request over and over and over, I kept thinking there's got to be other programs out there and there's got to be other resources. And what we found is there were some resources, but for the amount of people we had asking questions, we realized we probably need to dive in here to see how we can help. And really, we had been in the restoration business, right? We had been in restoring people who had been abused. But this is a very different lens. This is a prevention lens, which at the end of the day, wouldn't we like to prevent people going through abusive cycles so that they could have their 20s and their 30s and their 40s free from mm-hmm. that trauma of experience? Of course. So we began to, to, to ask the questions. Are there teens being abused? What we know is we know that one in four women are abused. We know that one in seven men. What we discovered, wow That's, yeah, I mean, the I, one in four women, I, I believe, but one in seven men. Wow. And if you think about it, men probably are least likely to share their mm-hmm. abuse. So certainly that number has some room probably for discovery. But when we started asking questions and doing research nationally and really looking at other organizations that were diving into teens, we found that one in three teenagers. OK, I mean, I'm just going to say that again. One in three teenagers had experienced an abusive relationship. And as we sat back, we thought, that's not okay with us. And I can tell you that parents and teachers and counselors across the country, that's not okay. We don't want our teens and young adults going through that. So we began to create these interactive workshops. Really, we weren't sure where to start. So we thought, well, let's just try this. So we created these healthy relationships. Interactive workshops for teens and their parents. So, did how did you find the teens to come? Well, actually, that was pretty easy. Um, I have to tell you, we just told some people. We told some moms. <laughs> it was just word of mouth. We we told some school districts, right? So, we we told some school districts. We told some moms. We told some churches um, that had youth programs. Um, we told some camps, like summer camps, like football camps and things like that, that already have groups of teens. So we didn't try to go find our own teens. We went to partner with other organizations that already have teens coming together in their own way, in their own reason. And what we offered was a two-hour inter- interactive workshop with some additional resources, a toolkit for parents, where the teens, their parents could come as well as the teachers or counselors that work with them. And what we discovered is at the end of the workshop, we found teens really talking deeply about abuse they had already had. Now, remember, teens face abuse from platonic relationships, right? They're friends, also romantic, because sometimes they haven't really recognized the difference. And if they're able to really see abusive patterns, then they're less likely to be almost fooled or tricked by that. As those years go on.
1: So you're teaching them skills to be able to recognize that.
2: Absolutely. So if a teen has the ability to have really good communication skills. It almost sounds like every teen should take this. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So if I'm a teen and I can clearly communicate my boundaries, I can communicate. Mm -hmm. I can communicate my boundaries. I know what feels appropriate in a relationship in terms of being kind to me, receiving like Words of discouragement or critical words from another person that I actually have the right to say to that person, hey, I'm not okay with that. And just that basic ability empowers them. When we bring their parents alongside at this workshop, we let, them, we don't have the parents and the teens in the same group, like in, in the, in okay. the part, We put parents with other teens, but not with their teen, right? So the reason we do that is because the parents are going to learn and the teens feel more free to talk about it, but they're with other adults as well. Um, we found that at the end of the workshop, we bring the families that had came together together with some talk time at the end. So before they go get in the car where it's this awkward moment of, oh, what'd you learn? We kind of provide that uh, safe setting so that way they can begin to talk about some of these difficult issues. And we've had teens and parents tell us, I didn't know I was in an abusive relationship. It's really been empowering. That has led us to create uh, some additional curriculum, right? So we have our Stronger Women uh, small group curriculum. So we're in the middle of finalizing a teen curriculum that we can really roll out with usable components for counselors at schools, teachers, youth leaders, parents, as well as the teens, um, because we're finding that there's this need. And I'll tell you what, we'll work in restoration as much as we can. But if we can work in prevention just as hard, sure. we're going to be exponentially better served as a, as a community by doing that. And we can teach other people to teach these workshops. So there may be people out there that say, wow, I, I want to get trained to help teens. I'd like to be able to take this curriculum and roll it out to my groups. We're going to be establishing that in the next few months so that people can come alongside us and really take these tools to their area, community, school, what have you.
1: So, Brooke, you started out in the Dallas area, and you've expanded uh, in this area of North Texas, but you are now nationwide, and it's wonderful because we uh, have technology now. You're at the Hope Center, which a lot of people know about, Mm -hmm. where a lot of ministries have their their offices and their ministries available, and you have good... um, you have good facilities there for being able to do uh, things online that are going to really spread throughout the nation. Yes. So just help people understand what you have and if they're interested in helping someone uh, to get involved or if they're interested in being part of the ministry or if they're in need of their own help, how would they, you know, how do they kind of connect with you?
2: Absolutely. So what we have discovered over these years is there are a lot of people out there that have either been in an abusive situation or they're helping a loved one with an abusive situation or they're trying to make a difference in their uh, sphere of influence, okay, whether that's their church or their workplace or what have you. So what we tried to do is break down our programs in ways that people can get the help they need as they're searching for it. So it's really divides into two different areas. First, you have the people that are seeking help themselves, right? So they can come to our website, and they can begin to say, "I I need help. There are some people that just need information. Am I being abused? Like just the beginning. Right. Am I being abused? There's an interactive questionnaire they can take. Fifteen questions helps give them a score at the end to say, where are you? Is crisis needed? What have you? Um, Those are individuals that they can get information about safety planning. We also have an advocate that if they uh, send us an email or they call our office, they can speak on um, to one of our client advocates, which can really help them refer to different resources. The other thing is being aligned in the HOPE Center. We now have access to a whole counseling team that is part of HOPE Works, which is part of okay. their counseling. So we are able to refer people to counselors locally that are just right in the same building. And that's been very helpful if someone actually came to the building and needed support. But even if people aren't ready to come and talk to someone, they can get information online online. All of our survivor support groups are also listed online, and those we start um, just periodically. Some start in the spring, some start in summer, but then someone can enroll in the survivor support group and begin to be connected to other survivors. They'll go through our curriculum and be connected to kind of a broader sisterhood because we've kind of sort of developed now hundreds of women that have been a part of our program. Um, and again, this type of issue we need to work in community with other organizations
1: absolutely i think it's uniquely so with this ladies and gentlemen stay with us we'll be right back
5: Welcome to the First Liberty Briefing. I'm Jeremy Dice. The reach of the First Amendment is extensive in securing the religious liberty of individuals and organizations, including colleges and universities. Recently, the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit issued its decision in Duquesne University of the Holy Spirit versus NLRB. When Duquesne, a Catholic university, refused to bargain with a group of adjunct faculty seeking to unionize, the National Labor Relations Board stepped in, recommending that the union be certified. But the D.C. Circuit Court rejected the NLRB's jurisdiction over the Catholic University. Judge Thomas Griffith, authoring the opinion, notes that our Constitution restrains government agencies from excessive involvement with religious organizations. Quote, the Establishment Clause limits governmental involvement in the affairs of religious groups and the Free Exercise Clause safeguards the freedom to practice religion, whether as an individual or as a part of a group. Well, that is critical, he said, because it means religious institutions retain the independence required to pursue religious activity, inculcate its religious identity, and teach according to its religious tradition. After all, the Constitution is meant to restrain government, not empower its creep into every aspect of our lives. The importance of this decision cannot be understated. Its immediate impact should be welcomed by religious colleges and universities around the country, Furthering the autonomy of religious institutions to be unapologetically religious and free from government intrusion is an unambiguous goal of the First Amendment. To learn how First Liberty is protecting religious liberty for all Americans, visit FirstLiberty.org.
6: Hi, I'm Kelly Shackelford, President and Chief Counsel of First Liberty Institute. I hope you enjoyed this episode of First Liberty Briefing. You can learn more amazing stories about how everyday Americans are standing up and saving religious freedom. Just visit firstliberty.org.
0: Now, back to Point of View, your listener supported source for truth.
1: Earlier this week, when um, our producer, producer Steve, uh, here at Point of View, um, just gave me some information about Stronger Women and Stronger Than Espresso, um, one of the things that intrigued me, Brooke, was um, the incorporation of art healing. It's something that I guess you've used from the beginning. It's one of it's one of the techniques. Can you explain
2: that? Absolutely. Art healing has really, um, it was organically developed, right, as many of the things that we found work with trauma, healing, the process. We began to realize that we were working with a lot of people that while we had a curriculum, sometimes head knowledge isn't quite where people are ready to go. They're not ready to think about a book and what have you. And we begin to work with people who had uh, from different cultures, different ages, different languages. Right. And so we started working with art healing. Now, art healing is a wonderful way to help people from all ages, all stages, really process trauma. And I met a group called A Window Between Worlds out of California, and they focus on using art healing and have done this um probably for about 30 years, kind of they have a founder story of, you know. So I went and met with them and got certified in their program a couple of years ago. And we began to roll that out with our programs, but also in separate workshops. We found that using art healing workshops, we partnered, what we found worked best for us is we partnered with other organizations, again, that already had groups of people, whether they were clients that they were serving, employees, We've got a lot of stressed out employees. Right. And other social agencies or churches that have people who are working in there, but they're pretty exhausted. So what we found is we brought different workshops with different object, learning objectives um, to help heal trauma. We have self-care for professionals. We also have different workshops. One's called putting the pieces back together. And what you do is you begin time that people can look at where they are right now with like a puzzle piece and they color it and they see the different parts of them from a physical, emotional, even spiritual perspective, and then through some other processes of writing and some prayer and some meditation journey, then they create a second puzzle piece where they want to go, the person they are when they are all put together. It's amazing to see the before and the after. We did this particular workshop with teens that were homeless. We've done it with tra- trafficking teens. We've done it with pregnant moms who were homeless. We've done it with healthcare workers. I mean, all of these different, I, I bring that one workshop up because it's the application and, um, is very important. And whether you're a employer, an agency, maybe you're a group of counselors that has some clients that you want to give us a call we would love to be able to partner and bring there's a two-hour workshop and we would bring everything that you'd need to help serve our really uh, as i'm even hearing myself talk our organization is really based upon serving others not just those who are victims or survivors Mm -hmm. but those who are serving those who are out in our communities as well. So that's an important focus.
1: So again, there's the website, but could you you've mentioned calling you. So sometimes people just want to call. Can you give out a phone number that people could call for Absolutely. information? Absolutely.
2: So our number is 469 307 8488. Okay, great. Now, I want to ask you, I know you you get
1: a lot of people who don't have their spiritual life intact that need either need help or want to be involved in some way. So, um, and I'm sure that you have ways of, um, of communicating scriptural truth to people, but you can't always save someone who's not saved when they're in that. I mean, when I, I guess what I want to ask you is how do you treat them spiritually? Because you're going to get people at all kinds of levels spiritually coming
2: to you, right? Absolutely. So the our. Our, our Stronger Women, the small group curriculum, is biblically based. It uses over 100 scriptures in our curriculum, and we use that as a foundation of, of, of a true process of healing. But that is not the primary um, lead, if you will, or a requirement for people to come into our program. Unfortunately, spiritual abuse within uh, the the family or the church setting has really hurt a lot of people who have tried to find help because they've been in an abusive situation. Perhaps they've gone to their faith leader, their church, their pastor, and through decisions of let's do joint counseling, let's do these things, they themselves have been actually hurt worse. So when somebody comes to us, we let them sort of lead the way. Um, we find that God does the work with them on his own, he's big enough, he's strong enough to find them where they are. We allow them to um, come to the class, we'll pray, we'll do the things. And some people say, well, the scriptures are okay. And other people, when we find at the end, they'll say, I was able to reconnect my relationship with God, but they did it their own way. Mm-hmm. They now have that relationship with Christ in their own way that truly no one can take away from them.
1: It's a real relationship
2: with Christ. Yes, yes, Mm -hmm. and even as I told you when we opened the show, even in my own journey, I I became so close in my relationship with Christ, not because someone was there telling me to do so, was because I had a Bible and I could sometimes the only thing I could do was clutch it and hold it. I didn't have the strength to even open it, and when I could, I would read the Psalms, and the Psalms were words that they fought for me. God was going to do what he could to help me uh, survive my enemies, and he would support me. And even in death itself, my abuser could not take my faith away from me. As raw and as as deep as that sounds, that's really where I was at that point. And so, again, we let people who are wherever they are in their journey sort of come come as you are and let's help you be safe and start healing and we'll let God do the rest. Yeah. mm mm-hmm.
1: Well, you know, that's the life that God gives us, all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all going to die physically someday. Yeah. So uh, to cling on to the life that we have in Christ and find that is the most important thing that all of us can do, whether we're abused or or whatever our issues are. Absolutely. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I am so grateful, Brooke, that uh, you came in here and I got to meet you. Mm-hmm. I can... I want to reiterate, I think, to people, you just mentioned it, that um, if, you know, many of our listeners are people who just are of the mind that they want to help others. And this is an area, and you you are trained in training. You yes. can train <laughs> people to be involved in this type of a ministry. And it sounds like it keeps innovating and growing. And so you're open to um, what God leads you to do as far as that goes. But you need people uh, in order to expand, and it sounds like you are expanding all over the country. So, folks, if you're listening and you um, you feel like maybe God is tugging you, or you or you think that uh, maybe perhaps you have been a survivor and now you want to help others, any of that, please get in touch with Brooke and uh, at least um, at least explore this because um, this is an area. And you know, I just want to ask you one more question because you know we're in a time now where it's sort of um, it's au courant, it's trendy to talk about Me Too and, and abuse and, um, and all of that. And so in a sense, you may be in a, a moment where uh, God could really use you and expand your, your ministry to a greater degree.
2: Yes. Um, Is that true or am I just stretching the oh, I I believe that you're absolutely true. I think that we are at a time where women are being called to rise up. Women are being called to help other women. We are, it's happening. Women are being called up. We don't even know what we're being called for, but we're really being called up and calling up women to support other women does not mean we vilify men. Absolutely not. Because what it means is that we all join together because when we all treat each other with love and respect and dignity, and we teach our children how to do that, Everyone is better served, and so I invite anyone who feels the Lord calling them right now, please call us. Connect with us, whether it's you, whether you want to be trained to help facilitate, or it's a loved one that you care for, let us know.
4: Having civil conversations about important issues seems to be harder and harder. Various media outlets tell people what they should believe, why they should be outraged, and getting people to actually think, well, it can be difficult. Whether it's the gospel, tax issues, social policy, or just about anything else, you need to have solid information and clear thinking to address the hard issues. You need God's truth applied. And that's what you get in less than two minutes with Point of View's Viewpoints Commentary, a daily resource to help you be informed and think through the things we need to be talking about. It is free and will arrive in your inbox each day when you visit pointofview.net slash sign up. Sometimes we know we should say something, but we're silent because we're not quite sure what to say viewpoints commentary can help you break the silence and change the narrative it can make you a more equipped agent for truth get your free subscription to the viewpoints commentary at pointofview.net sign up pointofview.net sign up point of view will continue after this
0: America. Live, this is Point of View. And now, Pena Dexter.
1: Thank you very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. I am Pena Dexter, and uh, today is Super Tuesday, the second Super Tuesday. I guess you could call it Super Tuesday Light. There are primaries in six states Uh, i guess the biggest one is michigan and uh, that's one where um, in the on the democrat side bernie sanders in 2016 barely won the michigan primary and i think he's hoping to pull something out uh, today we will report on that and talk about all things uh, super tuesday tomorrow on point of view Uh, but in michigan there are 125 delegates uh, primaries are also being held in Idaho, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, and Washington State. And uh, so that is something that we will unpack a little bit more tomorrow on Point of View. I mentioned in the last hour that this is Women's History Month, and we don't often have themed programs. And this one almost fell together uh just uh, because of the the various guests that we were all interested in putting together on this show today. A lot of it uh, does involve, to a greater degree, perhaps women, but I think men will be very interested in all the things we're discussing today. Later in the program, uh, Kathy Adams will join me, and she is with Texas Eagle Forum. And for part of that time, she's going to come into the studio and co-host with me. We're going to talk about a lot of important issues but, um, joining us will be, for one segment, will be Anne Schlafly Corey. And her mom, uh, was, is the late Phyllis Schlafly. There's going to be a movie coming out. Speaking of Women's History Month, she's now part of history because she passed away, I think, three or four years ago. And she's 92 after having lived a very long and productive life. Uh, a woman that I greatly admire and knew and interviewed many times and also introduced many times, um, for various, um, places where she spoke at Eagle Forum events. And we're going to talk about her because Hollywood is coming in and making a movie about her called Mrs. America, and Kate Blanchett will be playing Phyllis Schlafly. And you can imagine it's going to be critical because she was such a powerhouse and a force on the right. So um, we're going to talk about Phyllis Schlafly. We're going to give you the real story and the restoration, the attempt to restore and revive the Equal Rights Amendment, which is really one of her great success stories in fighting that, which would have been very damaging to women, to many of the protections that had been put into our uh, system for women, uh, and it would also have promoted abortion, women um, being forced into combat and different things like that. We'll unpack all of that with these two ladies in um, uh, the the final hour of the program. In the next hour, I'm going to be joined uh, by... Felicia Masonheimer, and she's written a book called Stop Calling Me Beautiful, Finding a Deeper Spirituality in a Shallow World. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, It's really about uh, kind of women's ministry light that takes place in the church um, a lot of times across our country. And, you know, what is a better way for women to, uh, to become deeper spiritually and we're going to talk about her book, and I'm very excited to speak with her. But um, in case you're going to tune out, gentlemen, please don't, because here's a, um, a story that <laughs> you might want to think about. What would a whole day without any women in the culture be like? Well, some women in Mexico decided to um, allow people to find out. In Mexico City, um, they asked the question, and this was yesterday. Um, they called it a day without women. And, um, you know, the question was, what does a country look like without women? And yesterday, Monday, and this is one of the world's largest, busiest cities. It was kind of a thought experiment that came to life, and uh, women removed themselves from public view. Uh, They didn't go to offices or restaurants or government buildings. They didn't go to school. They didn't ride in cars or buses or subways. They were just gone for a day. I mean, a few women had to uh, not participate, even though, they uh, agreed with the idea because they just had to go to work, and they they weren't uh, in a situation where they could take off or be home. But what's happened in Mexico is there has been an increase in what is called femicides, women and girls killed for their gender. And uh, it's been particularly gruesome in many cases. And um, there are uh, women in Mexico, people in Mexico, that are just um, – they're upset because not enough is being done about it. And I won't even describe some of the things that have happened. Uh, some of it has even been to uh, female children. But um, their women's movement has been invigorated by this, as you can imagine. And uh, successive governments um, have they tried to do things, but uh, women in Mexico say they haven't done enough to protect women. So in recent weeks, protesters have marched outside the national Uh, palace and they scrawled words femicide state on the doors of the palace and on Sunday which was International Women's Day authorities estimate that at least 80,000 people marched through the center of Mexico City but on Monday they had made this plan that women across Mexico uh, would protest by attempting to disappear completely and uh, they called it a day without us that's what the organizers called it and you know I'm not a feminist at all in fact I'm an anti-feminist uh, but in a sense, I think it—I <laughs> think it would be kind of interesting to talk to some of the Mexican men to find out what it was like that day without women. Many companies, especially large companies, supported it and allowed their um, female employees to have the day off. Uh, one a woman said her husband was really helpful. In fact, she didn't have to do anything that day. He did all the cooking, shopping, and everything. <laughs> so um, he was supportive of it. Uh, but you know, I just want you to listen, guys, to these. Um, these guests that we have today because i think um you know women make up at least in america we're more than half the population and so um we don't want to be um we don't want to be ruling over men we don't want to diss men we love men especially conservative and christian women i think they have a wonderful view of men or we're taught to have that but um We also are a force to be reckoned with. We want to be godly. We want to be deep spiritually. And we want to be active politically. And so that's what this show is about today. When we talk with our ladies in the final hour about the uh, legacy of Phyllis Schlafly and the example that she was and how people could take what she did and bring it up to date with all the tools that we have today, we encourage that kind of involvement here on Point of View. And Phyllis was one who... Back in the, even the beginnings of our program, she would, um, speak with our, uh, our founder, Marlon Maddox, often about what women can do and how uniquely positioned women were to make a difference. So we'll talk about that. But also, uh, women need to be equipped. We need to, um, have our relationship with God intact. We don't want it to be fluffy or surfacey. We want it to be real and deep. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, uh, to, um, to really deal with the issues that face us. And so um, that's what my next guest is going to be about. So I hope that you'll stick with us. Uh, also, a little bit later, we will give a, a bit of an update on coronavirus. I have posted an article by former Senator Jim Talent. He was a senator from Missouri, and for the last 10 years, he's been part of, he's been working on the issue of pandemic preparation. How well prepared are we? How is our administration actually doing on this? I mean, you hear a lot in the media of critique of the way we 're handling the uh, coronavirus situation, uh, but he 's got some some facts about it, and it might be a little bit more encouraging to you, so you won 't want to miss that either. Stay with us, ladies and gentlemen we 've got a lot here on point of view.
3: This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Has Christianity made a positive impact on Western civilization? Most Christians would wholeheartedly agree with that statement. In the past, atheists have usually pointed to how religion has been abused and misused and rarely acknowledged the contribution of Christianity to society. Richard Dawkins is one of the most prominent new atheists, yet even he has begrudgingly admitted that a belief in God has made a difference. He expressed his fear that the removal of religion would be a bad idea for society because it would give people license to do really bad things. He likens the idea of God to surveillance, or as he puts it, the divine spy camera in the sky. People generally tend to do the right thing when someone is watching them. They tend to do bad things when no one is watching. He does go on to add that the great spy camera theory isn't a good reason for him to believe in God. John Rice Davis is an actor who has been in Lord of the Rings films, Indiana Jones films, and many others. Recently he noted that we seem to forget that Christian civilization has made the world a better place. He reminded us that we owe Christianity the greatest debt of thanks that a generation could ever have. Now you might expect him to say such things since he is the lead actor in the film about St. Patrick. I might mention that I Am Patrick will be shown in theaters later this week. What you may not expect is that he actually describes himself as a rationalist and skeptic. He may not be a Christian, but he can see what so many of us have seen. Christianity has been a positive influence in society. Essentially, Western civilization rests on a Christian foundation, and it is encouraging that even atheists and skeptics can see that. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. From
4: CDN Films. I am Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland. I am Patrick. In select theaters, two days only, March 17th and 18th. I am Patrick.com.
0: You're listening to Point of View, your listener supported source for truth.
1: I'm excited uh, about my next guest. By the way, I am Penna Dexter, setting in for Kirby Anderson today. I'm so glad I am because of uh, the guests that have been. Uh, book for us today and my uh my guest this hour is felicia masonheimer and she's written a book with a very intriguing title stop calling me beautiful and the subtitle is finding a deeper spirituality in a shallow world and i think it really speaks to a an issue in women's ministry in churches across the nation i mean there are different types of women's ministry some better some not but a lot of it in a sense is um well described by a term she uses in her book. And, Felicia, thank you so much for joining me.
7: Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Well, I'm glad you're on. And I will say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that Felicia teaches Christian women how to apply faith to the realities of life. And she's a blogger. She also has a podcast, and she speaks uh, around the country. And, Felicia, I want to get right to this, this term that I, um, that I mentioned. And it's uh, something I saw in your book called Pink fluff." Theology, what is that? So
7: pink flock theology is basically my term for this cotton candy belief system that we've been preaching to women. I think a lot of this comes from the fact that we generally assume that women are not going to be going into ministry. They're not going to be going into any like pastoral role. And so we tend to not concentrate on robust theology.
1: Hmm. Wow. So theology is not necessarily as important for women as for men in, in some people's mind. Yeah. Okay. Well, you write, um, in your book, you write, women get an incomplete gospel. So that's even, uh, I think that even goes deeper to the core of an issue that, um, could be very bad for women. And that is that, um, women don't even get the, um, sort of half of it that Um, communicates their need for the gospel, which is their sin. Right.
7: So the incomplete gospel means we're telling only the comfortable parts of the gospel. We talk a lot about being worthy in God's eyes, being beautiful daughters of God, being God's princess. But we don't talk about what had to happen for us to have that identity. And if you leave out the first half of the gospel and you leave out how that worthiness was achieved through Christ, You're actually cheapening the grace of God.
1: So that sort of explains the title of the book, Stop Calling Me Beautiful, because gospel is not about communicating all this positive and encouraging message. I mean, we certainly need to be encouraged, but uh, I think it it attracts a lot of people. And in a sense, that uh, is sort of, I don't know, a symptom of that seeker-friendly church uh, movement. Is that something you're concerned Mm
8: -hmm. about?
7: Yes, I think that the seeker-friendly way of going about theology necessarily requires watering down the gospel, because the gospel is compelling on its own to people who want to hear it. It naturally meets those who are responding to God, but those who don't want to hear it aren't going to. We we see this in Romans 1. And so... Rather than creating, you know, a seeker-friendly church, we should just remember that the gospel is seeker-friendly on its own, and it's our job just to communicate the whole thing.
1: Do you think some churches that are much more serious about the gospel are seeker-friendly in their women's ministries?
7: They could be. Um, I wouldn't want to paint with a broad brush because every women's ministry in every church is different. But I think we can tend to kind of divide up the genders a little bit in the church and think, well, women, again, aren't going into ministry. A lot of them aren't, or they're, quote, just a stay-at-home mom. So why would they need to know this stuff? But every Christian needs to know this stuff because theology and understanding the depth of the Christian faith and why we believe what we believe is the foundation for every interaction we have with our kids, our coworkers, our husbands, our parents every interaction. And so every person, man and woman, needs to have that complete understanding.
1: Felicia Masonheimer is my guest. And, Felicia, you tell your story in, in your book, and um, I think your your story is, um, in a sense, other people's story. People who want to know God better, but somehow they haven't received these tools that you're mentioning. And it it can be devastating to a life, can't it?
7: It can. Yeah. Very discouraging or feeling like Christianity is hollow or empty or too much work because we don't know where to start or we don't know why it feels so heavy. I think a lot of us are going through the motions and really living kind of a based faith, even though we believe in grace, because we don't understand how to actually seek God and go deeper with him.
1: So uh, we're, we're living a workspace. Can you just unpack that a little bit more? I know that, um, you know, in a sense, uh, we we move to the edge of what we think we can get away with if we're shallow Christians. Is that what you mean? Mm-hmm.
7: Well, I mean more that I think a lot of Christians are trying to earn God's approval, maybe without even knowing it. So we know that we're saved by faith through the grace of God, Right. But then we try to keep that salvation by doing the right things. And so we feel guilty when we miss a quiet time or if it doesn't look perfect or we think that church is just about showing up, but we don't really desire it or don't really identify with what's being taught. We don't desire God. And we look at other people who do and we think, well, where's what's their Christian life like? Why do they seem to enjoy it so much? And it's because we subconsciously believe that Yes, our initial salvation is by grace, but after that it's all up to me. Yeah. And that's not what Jesus offers.
1: <laughs> so Felicia, um you know, you talk I mean, I thought this was interesting that the affirmation that people seek for I'm beautiful or I'm wonderful or I'm funny or I'm a good mom or whatever, that affirmation is not really what we need. So, um what what do we need? I mean, what do we need to really uh to come to God in the way that he would have us come?
7: So I think that this desire to be affirmed really is an innate part of our design. I think that wanting to be beautiful and desirable as women especially isn't necessarily wrong, but that we have to get it in its proper place. And so what we need is we need to understand that our lives aren't about us and and our happiness. God does love to see his children happy. But that happiness comes through pursuit of Him and knowledge of Him. And until we understand that, we're going to keep coming to the Bible to learn more about us. We're going to keep living a Christian life that's really about us and not realize that walking with God is a first about pursuing Him. And when we do that, we do find fulfillment. We do find that He is greater than we thought. And we actually end up having the joy that we sought in the first place.
1: You know, I I think some of the best um, messages that I've heard from the pulpit have been about, um, you know, we as believers, we seek all the benefits of God, uh, of becoming Christians, Mm -hmm. but we fail to seek him. And when we truly Mm -hmm. come and seek him, that's when we have that relationship that really um, is empowering uh, and causes us to be able to walk with him because we actually have sought him. We, We are beginning to know him. Yes, that's really well put. Okay, you mentioned legalism, and I've got a couple of minutes before the break. And you know, the the Old Testament, the Psalms. I love the Psalms, and especially like Psalm 19. Certainly, is all about the law, and mm-hmm. um, the moral beauty of the law is something that um, C.S. Lewis describes. I've been reading this book, uh, it's a C.S. Lewis's reflection on the Psalms, and this is just a quote. He says uh, that Psalm 119 expresses the moral beauty of the law. He writes that the psalmist's delight in the law is a delight in having touched firmness like the pedestrian's delight in feeling the hard road beneath his feet after a false shortcut has long entangled him in muddy fields. And the way I, that just kind of spoke to me about how the law, it's not like we, we want to turn away from the law or say, let's not be too legalistic. The law is beautiful and good and God gives it. But we sometimes replace our relationship with Christ with that law. And that's where we go astray, isn't it?
7: Yes. When we are no longer seeking to obey God because we love him and because of his grace, but instead to either keep or earn his approval, we've missed the mark. And the crazy thing about legalism is you can have two Christians doing the exact same things, living the exact same lifestyle, but one is doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit and one is doing it through legalism. But only one of those two is actually pleasing God with their life. And one of those two has peace, whereas the other one is captive to human approval. And so it's really sometimes hard to tell. And I think a lot of people get confused because they think that, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter, you know how much we drink or whether we swear or what we wear, where God does say you need to be holy, Mm -hmm. but that holiness should be led by him, not out of this guilt or this need to prove ourselves to other people.
8: My guest is
1: Felicia Masonheimer, uh, and we can open up the phones 800-351-1212 if you have a question or a comment about the Pink Fluff Women's Ministries. Stay with us. We'll be back with more of Point of View.
4: 2020. Is there anything important happening this year? Well, not unless you consider major disputes in various Christian denominations, international tensions over a flu epidemic, economic uncertainties, and a presidential election important. Question. Where will you get real news, credible opinion, clear biblical thinking on the things that matter most? Answer. Point of View Radio with Kirby Anderson and the team. You can make sure their voices continue speaking loud and clear by taking a moment right now and joining the Truth Team. It's easy, but you do have to visit our website or make a quick call. Go to pointofview.net slash team or call... 800 347 You have the power to make a difference. Joining the Truth Team can help ensure that millions of people will get a different opinion from the major purveyors of fake news. We don't get big advertising dollars like the networks or tax money like PBS. We depend on you. Pointofview.net slash team and 800 347 Point of View will continue after this. You
0: are listening to Point of View. The opinions expressed on Point of View do not necessarily reflect the views of the management or staff of this station. And now, here again, is Penna Dexter.
1: And with me by phone is Felicia Masonheimer, and her book is Stop Calling Me Beautiful Finding a Deeper Spirituality in a Shallow World. We've been talking a, a bit about legalism, Felicia, and one thing I liked about your book is you sort of unpack your own spiritual journey uh, in uh, seeking after a deeper spiritual life that you didn't really necessarily know that's what you needed, but you kind of found that out. And we we're talking about legalism, and I think one thing that happens with Christians is we may be believers, but Uh, We begin then when we raise our own kids to communicate that Christianity is about uh, obeying some rules. We can really do some damage, can't we, when we do that?
7: Yeah, absolutely. And like we talked about earlier, it's confusing because God is holy and he commands his people to be holy too. And so it's really easy as humans to start to equate God's expectation of holiness to following rules. But God has always been after a heart change that results in a behavior change. It's our relationship with Him, our covenant with Him that results in this behavior. And even if you look at the true definition of Torah that's translated law in our Old Testament, it really doesn't mean law. It means guidance or direction for a covenant people. And that's essentially what God wants from us still. We're a covenant people and He expects us to behave in a holy way, but that holiness can't be achieved by our own rules it has to be achieved by walking in step with him
1: you put a a fun story in uh, your book about the first time you were asked out on a date and I know that you probably would have been asked out a lot but uh, your your family just kind of wasn't having dating going on too early but finally when this did happen what did you do
7: so it's such an embarrassing story but it's such a great illustration of legalism Um, I didn't date in high school. This is just something that my parents had suggested and encouraged. And so my siblings and I didn't date in high school and totally fine with that. But once I turned 18, I got asked out on this date and a guy, he, he, you know, just asked me out like a normal, nice guy would. And rather than being a normal human, I handed him a business card, told him to call my dad (laughs) and then ran away. Wow. Like what on earth? So I go home and I tell my dad, like, this is how I responded to this guy asking me out. And he just laughed and said, who told you that a guy had to call me in order to take you on a date? I completely trust you if he's a good guy. So what I did was I took my parents' loving guidelines. We suggest and we say you shouldn't date in high school. And I expanded that to become all these extra rules for myself. This guy has to call my dad. When my dad never gave that rule in the first place, and that's what we do with legalism. We, we take God's instructions and we add on to them and then we treat our additions as actual law. And this is why we see, I believe, a lot of young people who reject the church and reject Christianity because what they were taught was not actually God's loving law, but legalism. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, um, there are many things I think that have been incorporating in, into the Protestant Church, really just the Church across America that we consider to be like an integral part of a woman's faith. And one of those is the quiet time. And I've always like tried to have a quiet time, and sometimes it's been more of a burden than a help. Now I just can't mm-hmm. wait to get up and get into the Word, and it's just it's become more just of a practice than a rule in my life. Mm-hmm. So what about that quiet time thing? I mean, are we uh, are we making that into sort of a legalistic rule? Well, we can. It really,
7: again, goes back to the heart motive, right? So the quiet time actually isn't in Scripture. We do see that we should be seeking God, that we should know his word, know and meditate on the law like Psalm 119 says. But quiet time isn't found in Scripture, and it's actually not found in church history until the 1940s. And after that when Billy Graham um, popularized it. Yeah, before that, the quiet time was actually referred to as the morning watch, and it concentrated on intercessory prayer and praying for the unsaved. It was very much outward focused. And so through the 40s and then into the 60s and 70s, quiet times became more and more introspective and about our relationship between us and God. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but we have to remember that Really, at the end of the day, our relationship with God, our quiet time, um, can't be held above the point, which is to know God and make him known. Our faith should be active. And we can't get so distracted by, like, these Instagram quiet times with all the highlighters and a candle and, like, you know, perfect circumstances that we stop speaking him completely.
1: There's not just one time, although I I guess having habits and, and regular sort of little liturgies in your life are good. And they mm-hmm. form you, but uh, again, you can become legalistic about that too. Yeah. Okay. Another question, then. Um, I th- I see a trend in Christianity, and I think you know a lot of people see it um, that in our country, in our culture, it's much more of an individual thing, whereas historic Christianity was more of it was more of a community, the body of Christ. Do you see that?
7: Yes. And and it ties into the quiet time issue because when our faith is only about us and God and nobody else, we're not in community, then we don't have the accountability and the support that has always characterized the body of Christ. And it's vital to our growth.
1: Yeah, and I would say the other-focusedness, too. Being Mm -hmm. other-focused and not so focused on ourselves. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. you know, and I, I do see, I get disturbed sometimes in my um, um life of seeing people define their own Christianity, where, um you, you know, there are things about their doctrinal tenets that are, you know, they're really necessary, they're essential, and yet so many, especially I think in younger generations, I notice people just defining it for themselves, maybe not even, you know, they don't even go to church, they don't think they have to, they don't think that's important of a meeting together and just different ways people do that and i think that's a danger of the individualistic christianity that we've got
7: oh 100 and and this is why it's so important to know church history and to look at what the word teaches especially in the old testament because that was the template the early church was looking at and following that faith was communal it was this community who obeyed god loved god and held each other accountable and served one another that is how christianity is meant to operate it's not meant to be isolationist and the problem is what we're doing is we're becoming more american than we are christian we're reading our american uh, american identities into our christianity instead of the other way around
1: i think we who are because you know we're very concerned on this program about politics about um, the culture wars and being conservatives politically and mm-hmm. also in our Christian faith, that we there 's a danger for us for doing that, and you know looking back I think to the early church is a good uh, a kind of a good model, a good way to point us back to uh, our community and our real our, our allegiance to the body of christ yes, yes, absolutely, okay, one more because we only have just a couple more minutes. Um, just define worship, because a lot of times in evangelicalism especially, worship is the singing part before the sermon.
7: Yeah, I think we tend to think of that because praise and worship and then the sermon. But actually, the whole service is worship, because it's meant to all point to the worth and value and glory of God. And so when we attribute worth to God, we're worshiping him through the teaching of his word And through the singing and through the serving of one another and being in the body of Christ, all of that is a form of worship of God. But when we try, like you said earlier, to individualize it and remove ourselves from that context, we may have some parts of worship. You know, we can worship God through the word. We can worship God through nature. But God has also expressly commanded certain ways that we are supposed to worship him. And we can't just decide, oh, you know, I'm going to worship God the way, however I want. That didn't work out. If you look at Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Exodus, where there's this, you know, information about like, this is how we're supposed to worship him. And even Aaron's own sons died because they did not worship God the way that he commanded. And so that should make us think seriously, like, I don't get to invent the way I want to worship Jesus. I have to actually look at how God wants to be worshiped and operate that way.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, I do recommend the book. I read it cover to cover. It was a delightful read and very encouraging read and struck many chords with me. Felicia, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate uh, not only uh, that I got to do the interview with you, but just the fact that you've you provided this book. I think it's an important one.
7: Thank you so much. It was an honor to join you.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, um, again, the book is Stop Calling Me Beautiful. Harvest House, and uh, you can find out more by going to pointofview.net. Next up, we'll do a little bit of discussion on uh, coronavirus and uh, some of the news surrounding that. And then in the next hour, Kathy Adams from Texas Eagle Forum will join me along with Anne Schlafly-Corey, the daughter of the late Phyllis Schlafly. We're going to talk about the Equal Rights Amendment, which is raising its ugly head again. Some people say it's not dead And uh, they want to bring it back, and uh, it could have worse repercussions than we even thought about back in the 70s and 80s. So stay with us for that. We've got a whole lot more here on Point of View.
5: Welcome to the First Liberty Briefing. I'm Jeremy Dice. The reach of the First Amendment is extensive in securing the religious liberty of individuals and organizations, including colleges and universities. Recently, the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit issued its decision in Duquesne University of the Holy Spirit versus NLRB. When Duquesne, a Catholic university, refused to bargain with a group of adjunct faculty seeking to unionize, the National Labor Relations Board stepped in, recommending that the union be certified. But the D.C. Circuit Court rejected the NLRB's jurisdiction over the Catholic University. Judge Thomas Griffith, authoring the opinion, notes that our Constitution restrains government agencies from excessive involvement with religious organizations. Quote, the Establishment Clause limits governmental involvement in the affairs of religious groups and the Free Exercise Clause safeguards the freedom to practice religion, whether as an individual or as a part of a group. Well, that is critical, he said, because it means religious institutions retain the independence required to pursue religious activity, inculcate its religious identity, and teach according to its religious tradition. After all, the Constitution is meant to restrain government, not empower its creep into every aspect of our lives. The importance of this decision cannot be understated. Its immediate impact should be welcomed by religious colleges and universities around the country. Furthering the autonomy of religious institutions to be unapologetically religious and free from government intrusion is an unambiguous goal of the First Amendment. To learn how First Liberty is protecting religious liberty for all Americans, visit First Liberty.com.
6: Hi, I'm Kelly Shackelford, President and Chief Counsel of First Liberty Institute. I hope you enjoyed this episode of First Liberty Briefing. You can learn more amazing stories about how everyday Americans are standing up and saving religious freedom. Just visit FirstLiberty.org.
0: Now, back to Point of View, your listener-supported source for truth.
1: Welcome back to Point of View. It is Women's History Month, as I mentioned earlier, and we're going to talk about a woman in history, pretty recent history, in the next hour, Phyllis Schlafly. And uh, she certainly was a friend of Point of View, uh, one of the leaders of the conservative pro-family movement. And uh, the things that she accomplished are absolutely – I I don't know if people really understand some of the things that she did accomplish – Uh, We're going to speak with a couple of people that knew her well. One, Kathy Adams, who's been in this studio many times. And uh, she's um, a longtime leader in uh, Eagle Forum, the organization that Phyllis Schlafly started. Also, Ann Schlafly-Corey will join us. She's the daughter of, of Phyllis Schlafly. She's a chairman of Eagle Forum. So we'll talk about the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And it's very timely because not only is it Women's History Month, but Hollywood is putting out a movie, Mrs. Actually, it's not a movie; it's a series, a mini series, um, and uh, it's called Mrs. America, and Kate Blanchett will be starring as Phyllis Schlafly, and I can just only imagine the take they'll have on uh, on Phyllis. So you won't want to miss that. That's coming up next. Um, I do want to open up the phones eight hundred three five one one two one two if you want to talk about. Um, the coronavirus, it's kind of top, front, and center on everyone's minds today. And if you've got any thoughts, I mean, it's hard to know. It's hard to look at it and say, um, I'm afraid of it. You know, I'm going to be very careful. I'm not going to travel. I am going to travel. My husband went um, for his, his checkup today. And you know how a lot of times you go a week ahead of your actual appointment for the checkup and you get your blood tests and things like that. Well, he went and they asked, have you been to California? I guess they asked probably if you've traveled international, but have you been to California? And he actually did go there about 10 days ago. And there were a few, like, disturbed people around that doctor's office about it. And then um, the doctor had to come in and talk to him. And so, you know, it just kind of makes you a little nervous. Another thing that happened is my son actually uh, with his family took a trip to California this morning. And he said the airport was – well, he took a picture of the air, empty Dallas airport. It was, like, empty. And the plane was only about 60 percent full, which is very unusual on trips out uh, to the West Coast. So I think there are people who are um, nervous and taking, um, you know, sort of changing their travel plans and things like that. And then there are others who are simply not going to do that. Um, There are things that we all can and should do that, you know, aren't going to really affect our uh, our careers or our travel plans, just like hand washing and um, perhaps um, avoiding touching other human beings, um, my church um, talked to us about it, and um, there was some um, there were some things said about communion because we have communion every week, and we actually drink from a common cup at our church and so um, you know people can still do that if they want to, but it was certainly um, uh, I don't. I don't even want to say discouraged, but uh, basically just giving people permission to only take the the bread and not have anything to do with the cup. So, um, so that was there. And then during um, what we have a, a time called the passing of the peace. I think most churches have some time of greeting one another and um, the hugging, kissing, and um, even handshaking was discouraged. Hand washing is encouraged. So those are a couple of things. But. I posted a, a piece. Uh, it was it was on Fox News. You may have seen it. Uh, it was by Jim Talent, who was a senator from Missouri. I posted it at pointofview.net. It's a, the last article. If you scroll down um, uh, past all our guests and their pictures and bios and things like that, that you'll find it. I thought it was a very good article because um, he has been um, engaged with the issue of pandemic preparation. For over 10 years, um, he's been doing this with another former Senator, Bob Graham of Florida, who's a Democrat, um, talent as a Republican. They had a nonprofit, uh, a nonprofit together, um, and they sponsored a stem to stern study of how well America's health infrastructure uh, would respond to a pandemic. Um, there's it's not perfect. That's for sure. But um, this article was actually fairly encouraging on that front. And he knew all about COVID-19. He thought it might be the perfect storm that the public uh, health um, establishment has been um, fearing. But he says as as the days go by and we're watching this, he's actually getting more optimistic about the uh, public health impact of the virus. He says that its virulence appears to be much lower than the 3.4% mortality rate, which the World Health Organization is claiming. And, of course, in uh, the U.S., uh, the number of deaths is, I think, in the 20s now, but only four of them are outside the state of Washington. They all seem to be concentrated there, and more needs to be studied about that. But he said um, he says that the New York Times spoke with a number of experts in epidemiology, and they all agreed that 1% was probably a more realistic um, uh, rate, mortality rate, which, you know, we don't like to see uh, anybody die of anything, but – um, the panic that we've seen in the financial markets and other areas of life may not be uh, justified. And, you know, we have much to learn still. We've got to watch what happens. But he says that we have reasonable, reasonably good information, at least outside of China, uh, for that 1% um, figure. Uh, so, uh, but we don't know how many people actually have the disease. That's one thing we really do not know, and we don't know it in the U.S. Uh, we're going to have more um, test kits, and there will be more people tested and studied, uh, but uh, he thinks that it's probably more like a normal flu than he had originally feared. He says the Trump administration has, on the whole, responded vigorously and effectively to the disease. Now, you're not going to hear that in a lot of media outlets, um, but, you know, the fact that um, the president shut down flights from China very early on in late January probably didn't prevent the disease from taking hold in the U.S., but it held things off, uh, which gave public health officials time to uh, make preparations, put together a team, uh, get some communication protocols going. And those are working well. And that is not reported in the media, but they are. They're uh The organizations, the uh, CDC and the NIH and the White House are all on the phone together um, daily, several times a day uh, in some cases, uh, and um, they are stockpiling the items that are needed. They are uh, formulating what the most promising medical countermeasures are and beginning the process of securing a vaccine and also therapeutics for the disease and um, he says putting the vice president in charge of overall pandemic op- uh, preparation was the right decision. Act actually something he and Senator Graham proposed um, twelve years ago to the Obama administration. Interesting. Um, he says Trump's style of leadership. Uh, some people are critiquing it, and uh, you know he's got his his own personality. That's for sure. But he says it's actually a plus in this kind of a crisis because Trump is not afraid to make decisions. He's not really concerned that. Concerned about being criticized for the decisions that he makes, and that is vital in a situation like this. Um, he says the president does need to be patient with his own team because um, he needs those the right people in the right places. There aren't that many people that are uniquely qualified to deal with this, and so the ones that are there need to be respected uh, and treated treated well uh, because they're working 24/7 and the circumstances are difficult. And it'd be hard to replace them if they got frustrated and left. So it's not like you cater to them, but you treat them as professionals and, um, you treat their opinions with respect. Uh, this is one time he says where Trump needs to lead with positive rather than negative reinforcement. Uh, he says the snafus that we've seen uh, that are widely reported on, um, uh, they're just, they're par, part of the territory that they are to be expected. Uh, but in the next uh, few weeks, we're going to see a spike in the number of cases, of course, with the testing. Uh, but he feels that we are in a position to handle it well. You can't expect perfection. Nobody is going to be able to stop um, the spread of disease. But you can do everything you can to lessen it, to mitigate it. And he feels that that is being done. Of course, we're going to have more responsibility shift to the states and localities, and that's a good thing. The economy will take a hit hopefully uh, people won't panic. So that's, um, that's there on pointofview.net. There's a lot more. Next up, Kathy Adams will join me. We're going to talk about the Equal Rights Having Amendment.
4: conversations about important issues seems to be harder and harder. Various media outlets tell people what they should believe, why they should be outraged, and getting people to actually think, well, it can be difficult. Whether it's the gospel, tax issues, social policy, or just about anything else, you need to have solid information and clear thinking to address the hard issues. You need God's truth applied. And that's what you get in less than two minutes with Point of View's Viewpoints Commentary, a daily resource to help you be informed and think through the things we need to be talking about. It is free and will arrive in your inbox each day when you visit pointofview.net slash sign up. Sometimes we know we should say something, but we're silent because we're not quite sure what to say. Viewpoints commentary can help you break the silence and change the narrative. It can make you a more equipped agent for truth. Get your free subscription to the Viewpoints Commentary at pointofview.net/slash-signup. Pointofview.net/slash-signup. Point of View will continue after this.
0: Across America, live. This is Point of View. Anna Dexter.
1: Thank you for sticking with us. It's uh, the second hour of Point of View, and uh, I am so grateful for my next guest being here because she's a, I don't want to say an old friend in the sense that she's old, but she's a longtime friend of mine, and I have uh, learned so much from Kathy Adams uh, about Texas politics, national politics, how to be a... Uh, a good mom along with being a good activist and just all kinds of things. Kathy's in studio with me. Kathy, thanks for for joining me today.
8: Thanks so much. And as far as age is concerned, isn't it the most wonderful place in the world to be grandmothers? Yes, it is. We, we <laughs> share it. that, and it's
1: so much fun to talk about that. And yes. I've watched Kathy be a grandmother before me, and uh, her grandchildren are growing up into wonderful young adults. It's great to see it. But Kathy is... Uh, her title now is First Vice President of Eagle Forum. Eagle Forum, of course, is the organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly, the late Phyllis Schlafly. And, you know, this is Women's History Month right now. And, I mean, you can you can study all kinds of female leaders across uh, the history of our nation. I would rather study Phyllis Schlafly than I think anyone. She's made such an impact. And, uh She's she was just such a great leader. She passed away, I guess, about three or four years ago at age 92 after a full life of giving of herself mm-hmm. to this nation. And um, Kathy is also editor of the Eagle Forum uh, report, which is the used to be the Phil Schlafly report. Mm-hmm. Kathy has been a leader in Texas Eagle Forum for decades, mm-hmm. and then she also was uh, the committee woman elected from the state of Texas to go to the national convention. Republican Convention and she was republican um, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas uh, in two thousand nine and two thousand ten she serves our um, our nation in whatever God calls her to and kathy um just looking back on Phyllis a little bit I mean you knew her for a long time you served in her organization and I think one of the things I remember about her is I read something she wrote about her uh, raising of her children. She had six, and she mm-hmm. taught them all to read. She didn't mm-hmm. homeschool like mm-hmm. a lot of us uh, did for a while, but it, it encouraged me toward that. That you can you can do it. You can yes. you can look well to the ways of your household. You can also be involved in the culture wars and in mm-hmm. politics. And mm-hmm.
8: You can do all of that. Yes, and she did teach all six of her children to read before they started school, and then I know that she was doing a lot of work with her grandchildren, teaching them to read as well. And the children were all brilliant, they're very accomplished, and, um, and really, uh, have turned out, uh, to just really benefit from their mother's training. Yes, and one of that, those
1: children will be joining us later in the program, yes. Ann Lathley Corey, and, uh, so, you know, she was, I mean, she was able to get, um, things done with kindness, mm-hmm. uh, in, um, ways that, you know, we, some people looked at her as a person that was very shrill because she was very strong and would speak out. Mm-hmm. But if you knew her, and I think the people that knew her that, who she influenced, like for instance, Ronald Reagan, yes. uh, highly respected her and it was, because of the way she treated them, yes. but she also had
8: uh, her facts yes. down. Yes, Phyllis was one who did not speak before she knew what she was talking about. And she was a, an attorney by um, a training. But uh, I think first and more, for, foremost, she was a wife and she was a mother. And so that combination gave her such a gentle spirit. And so she was willing and able to train those who were around her. And that was what drew me to her. She was a mentor. She was like a mother. I loved her like a mother. And I miss her uh, tremendously yeah. today. But I'm so grateful that we have Anne Schlafly-Cory, Corey, is so much like her mother that sometimes we chuckle. Really? <laughs> oh, yes. Well, um, so,
1: Phil Schlafly, I remember she came to... Um, sort of the national consciousness in fighting. uh, She was fighting communism. She was fighting for Mm -hmm. conservatism. She was Mm -hmm. fighting for a strong national defense, some of those types of issues. Right. Uh, They weren't really women's issues at all. They were national issues.
8: Yes, when someone brought to her the Equal Rights Amendment, she had to study it to learn that it was indeed something worthy taking on. And just because it was already supported by presidents and former presidents and candidates, It didn't matter. It was wrong. It was wrong for America, wrong for families, wrong for women. And so she took it on. And just to give you one example in a nutshell, we already as women have all the protections we need under the U.S. Constitution. The Equal Rights Amendment would not apply to the private sector. What we have already as freedom and as rights not only are God-given First. But also are protected by the U.S. Constitution.
1: So the, the Equal Rights Amendment came, uh, it was passed by Congress back mm-hmm. in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And it had, as an amendment to the Constitution, it had yes. to be ratified by 38 states. Yes. And boy, it just, uh, it started rolling through the states, being ratified, being ratified mm-hmm. until 35 states ratified it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Phyllis
8: sort of came into it in the middle of that, what happened? Yes. Well, Phyllis saw then some states who withdrew their support of the ERA, and since that time, now there are battles. Did they withdraw? Was it actually acknowledged as being withdrawn? Or now do we only have to get one or two more states, and is this going to be law of the land? Because three states now have recently ratified it, Mm -hmm. and some people are saying...
1: Well, that means we can actually get an ERA, right? Which is something we absolutely and we'll talk about it later. (laughs) Don't want.
8: No, we don't want. Um, We already have, for example, things that are illegal like violence against women, um, the equal pay issue that women love to distort, um, the sexual harassment in the workplace. All of these are already illegal. And the Equal Rights Amendment would not protect women. It would not offer any new protections. As a matter of fact, it would take away some of the protections that we have today. For example, who in the world wants to have men sleeping in a bed next to them in a military setting? Who wants men to be able to enter the same shower stall that you are in? I mean, there are things that are just decency that the Equal Rights Amendment would totally void and uh, put on an even playing field, and these are things that would subject women to a lot of harm.
1: So, you know, the Equal Rights Amendment was based on a simple principle to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, but Phyllis recognized that it uh, would have affected existing protections for women, like in divorce and Social Security laws, and as Mm -hmm. you mentioned, in uh, the draft eligibility. Yes. Uh, and another thing it would have done would have been, been made impossible to regulate abortion and yes. force taxpayers to pay for it. Yes. And there's a, there's another whole wrinkle to it now that it would do if it were actually enacted, and we'll talk about that after the break. But my guest is Kathy Adams from Eagle Forum. Uh, it's fun to be with an old friend, a person who has worked on uh, not only um, some of the issues of, of life – but also the issues of the environment, which is something we'll discuss a little bit later. Eagle Forum reaches into all of these areas and has for many years, and so we want to just kind of talk about that today. We'll be back.
0: You're listening to Point of View, your listener-supported source for truth.
1: Welcome back to Point of View. Kathy Adams is here in studio with me. And uh, we're talking about the uh, effort to restore the Equal Rights Amendment. And um, as I mentioned, uh, uh, in 2017, three, three states, it began in 2017, started to try to revive it. Mm-hmm. Nevada became the 36th state to ratify the ERA.
8: Yes, but it with, was was withdrawn Yes, the the Democrat governor withdrew it. Oh, Nevada
1: withdrew. Okay. And then in 2018, Illinois did, and then vetoed. Just recently in uh, 2019, Virginia then went. And so a lot of people were claiming, okay, we can have, uh, we can enact the Equal Rights Mm -hmm. Amendment now because Mm -hmm. those ones that dropped out over the years, that doesn't really count. And uh, so it's just interesting because I uh, wrote a commentary about this a few weeks ago. Mike Ferris at uh, Alliance Defending Freedom was, he was involved back then in uh, sort of the legal machinations of the Equal Rights Amendment. And he says, no, it has to start over. If they mm-hmm. want it, they need mm-hmm. to start over. It expired. Mm-hmm. And it did expire, and they extended the... Um, deadline to get all the ratifications to like 1982, but they still didn't get enough by then. No. And even a Ruth Bader Ginsburg, yes. Supreme Court justice, who uh, is definitely for all the things in the Equal Rights Amendment, but she said, no, they have to start over. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not right. So so if you hear uh, you know, this about the Equal Rights Amendment being on the cusp of being um, being ratified and then being enacted and added to the Constitution, there is a battle to do that, and we need to stand against that. But it's it's just it's not um, it's not constitutional. It should not happen. If it does, it's going to be a real travesty.
8: Yes, it would. And it we have got to know as women that it's really about forcing us to be treated exactly as men in every respect. Don't ever forget that your bathrooms would be open to men who call themselves men or transgender. Or recently, I went into a hair shop, and there was a man with a beard and moustache calling himself. Brenda, and um, and we would be um, uh, forced to uh, undress next to to men, to sleep next to men. Um, this is just really in essence calling women so stupid that we don't know what is good for us and what is in our best interests. The um yeah
1: the new criticism that's raised its head in the recent generation is uh, the T in LGBT mm. and. So now, I mean, I think one of the ugh, real ironic um things that's happened is in women's sports because the feminists, that's one of the victories that I celebrate of feminism mm-hmm. is the fact that all these women's sports teams mm-hmm. cropped up. Mm-hmm. Now, we did have, you know, one of the, I think, bad parts of that is different colleges had to get rid of some of their men's teams. Yes. But, Wrestling. But women's sports um has been a success story of uh, the feminists and mm-hmm. Uh so you've got all these girls now out there training and in some um situations and even in the Olympics now um transgender uh what do you call it transgender women mm-hmm. are you transgender woman if you're really a man yeah i i don't know i think so yeah. <laughs> anyway people that were born biologically men mm-hmm. have, and have now uh, are calling themselves women perhaps they've taken the hormones perhaps they've even had surgery whatever mm-hmm competing against women in women's sports mm-hmm. and, and taking the titles because the the testosterone effect, even if you're perhaps taking a blocker or if you don't have the testosterone going into your system now, it's already built up your muscles and you're already stronger. Mm-hmm. And so it's not fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're taking the titles. Uh, and now the Olympics is, not, I don't think, uh, barred transgenders from competing. So uh, it's It's ruining women's sports. If it's allowed to continue and if something isn't done about it, it will remove women's sports. It'll probably basically be the end of women's sports.
8: Yes. And I watched three of my grandchildren gain their black belt status in Taekwondo. And I can tell you that my two granddaughters that have a black belt are tough ladies. But I also can tell you that their 18-year-old brother could whip them both if he needed to and wanted to. And so... They understand the difference, even though they all have black belts. They know that there is a very, very strong difference.
1: Well, there is. And, I mean, the the, um, the track, the cycling, mm-hmm. uh, up in the state of Connecticut, there's a lot of mischief going on. And I know there's some lawsuits now. Some high school girls have um, sued um, the Athletic Association. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's all in flux, but... Uh, if you had a, an ERA, Equal Rights Amendment, you would take away some of the, um, the foundational arguments. Mm-hmm. And it's really too late, and we just need to make sure that um, that message is out there. It's too late to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment uh, unless you wanted to start over, and I don't think that would happen.
8: Well, I don't think so either. However, I do know that there are too many in the mainstream media who are willing to lie about our president, they're going to be lying about this as well. And we as women are going to have to be informed. We're going to have to know more than what the mainstream media knows and that their labeling is not always the way that we know is the truth. And so just because they tell us that something can continue as the Equal Rights Amendment, they, they keep pretending, can, um, that battle was ended by Phyllis Schlafly. She celebrated at the end of the time of the U.S. Constitution's limit mm-hmm. of that whole amendment. It was defeated, period. And so now don't let the media pretend that you are just going to be led by them with a hook in your nose off of some cliff. Don't buy it. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, Kathy, um, before we bring in Anne Schlafly-Corey, I want to talk about uh well, today is Super Tuesday light. It's sort of the second Super Tuesday. There are six states holding primaries today, and um, you know it's not as it's important in both parties. But of course, on the presidential side, the Democrats are uh, vying for um, the nomination. But I want to look back over history and Phyllis Schlafly's involvement in uh, this process, in the process of nominating people and also delineating the issues that the party will stand for. Because one battleground, political football has been the life issue. And the Republican Party is, platform is so strongly pro-life mm-hmm. and very consistent about it. And you've watched that platform stay fairly consistent over many election cycles, or you watch mm-hmm. the Democrat platform mm-hmm. get further and further to the left, uh, allowing abortion, you know, further and further into pregnancy and uh, allowing all kinds of, um, Things like, um, you see in the state of Virginia, it was just passed, passed in New York last year, that a personnel other than doctors can do abortions, for instance. Yes. yes. And um, just um, making it um, so draconian and, you know, the inability to even protect babies that are um, born because of a botched abortion, all of that. So it's it's a radical difference. And Phyllis Schlafly is one who um, every, every election cycle, she and her... Um, Soldiers mm-hmm. <laughs> really <laughs> made it um, Made it. The abortion a very, very
8: um, uh, important issue and protected the sanctity of human mm-hmm. life in the Republican mm-hmm. platform. It was so fun for me to know Colleen uh, Pero-Belarjan. Mm-hmm. And Colleen, I remember, called Phyllis and said, Phyllis, this is another thing we're going to have to do something about. And she was watching this the sausage be made in the process and saying that the Republican Party would not hold on to the pro-life plank unless we did something to shore it up. And it had to be a, on a constant and continual basis. And Phyllis's retort was, well, if you'll lead the effort. And so the two ladies were and together. Colleen did that. Yes, yeah, she did. And so for nearly, well, for 20 years, I was so happy to work along their sides and uh, be a part of that national platform committee three times. What an honor and a privilege that was. And um, so that plank is something that is vul- vulnerable. It always will be. And if good people are not involved in standing up and doing the right thing, then it's going to go the way of the world. That void will be filled very easily with evil.
6: Hmm.
1: So it's not a given that the Republican Party will stay as pro life as it is now.
8: No, is what you're saying? No. And um, who would have ever thought that the Democratic Party, my grandmother, I can remember, would vote for anything, anybody that was on that Democratic ticket. Hmm. And she was a God-fearing woman. And she was one who would never set aside God's name out of a platform of any political party. But that is what the Democratic Party has done now, is taken out even God. And so any party that does that, I think, is one that is just leaving me totally outside that, and the Republican Party is only going to be as good as the people in it. Absolutely.
1: Well, ladies and gentlemen, next up, uh, we are going to talk about the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, which is this organization, Eagle Forum. And uh, Kathy Adams, who's sitting across from me right now, is one of the leaders, another one of the leaders, Phyllis Schlafly, or I'm sorry, Ann, Ann Schlafly-Corey, We'll be joining us uh, after the break. We're going to talk with her about uh, her mom. And uh, she wrote an article, Mom and Apple Pie, <laughs> which is kind of fun. But uh, it's serious business. And uh, she, Phyllis has left a legacy, and we're going to talk about it right after this. Stay with us.
4: From CBN Films comes I Am Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland. Taken from his home
0: into slavery. Then, a miraculous escape, only to be called back. It was not my grace, but God, that I might come to the Irish
4: nations to preach the gospel. A journey from man to saint. I am Patrick. In select theaters for two days only, March
0: 17th and 18th. Theater and ticket information is available at
4: Iampatrick.com. Truth has a price tag, but lies cost even more. The damage done when people don't tell the truth is beyond measure. Many today value power more than truth, but you are not like that. You know that truth is what sets us free. Help Point of View Radio be an oasis of truth In a desert of lies, join the Point of View Truth Team. Get all the details today right now by visiting pointofview.net slash team or call us at 1-800-347-5151. Make an investment in a great future. Make an investment in truth. Pointofview.net slash team and 800-347-5151. Point of View will continue after this.
0: You are listening to Point of View. The opinions expressed on Point of View do not necessarily reflect the views of the management or staff of this station. And now, here again, is Pina Dexter.
1: And Kathy Adams from Eagle Forum is also in studio with me. We've been talking fondly about Phyllis Schlafly. And... um, I'm reading from an article called Mom and Apple Pie by the daughter of Phyllis Schlafly, Ann Schlafly Corey. One of the secrets of Phyllis Schlafly's success was the old adage, honey catches more flies than vinegar. Her eco-volunteers lobbied politicians with home-baked goodies such as tea breads and cakes. She promoted the image of the happy homemaker baking a pie combined with a very powerful image of a wife and mother who is able to influence policy. Well, that's a good summary. Uh, by the daughter, Anne Schlafly-Corey is our guest. Anne, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on, Penna. Well, I'm glad to have you, and your friend Kathy's here. I know you you both serve um, Eagle Forum, and uh, Anne is the chairman of Eagle Forum, ladies and gentlemen. She's served on Eagle Forum boards since 2008, and she's hosted uh, Eagle Forum Live, which is a, a weekly radio show. Uh, that Eagle Forum puts out. She um, has emceed several events, and she was just raised at the knee of Phyllis Schlafly. And um, Kathy and she enjoy working together because this organization and Eagle Forum is really the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, isn't it?
9: Yes. She started it in the early 70s, uh, and and some of the ladies who were with her when she began in the early 70s are still part of the organization. We are a network of volunteer women who feel passionate about what is happening in our country.
8: And I have to add that Anne Schlafly Corey is a wonderful person to work with who got along so well with her mother and has so many uh, traits exactly like her mother. She is a joy to be with.
9: Well, you know, Kathy, one of the best things you can do in life is choose your
1: parents well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's really true. <laughs> well, you know, and I have to, uh, you know, I just have to go back and talk about your mom because uh, she's been, she was a guest on this program, Point of View, when its founder, Marlon Maddox, was alive many times, and he highly respected her, loved having her on, and uh you know, I think, in a sense uh, they were like minded on so many issues, and they were of the same generation so um, she she just goes back as as someone who 's been so influential in so many of our lives i 've had the opportunity to introduce her at various programs and one, especially here in Dallas, which was the Republican state convention that was here, and she was the keynote, and I got to introduce her and i just uh, I have a wonderful memory of that Uh, she was a gracious person and as you said she she was so feminine and yet so tough
9: I think the graciousness is a key part of her success because she always had a smile on her face she was a happy warrior and I think you you know you started off by reading from my piece where I said honey catches more uh, flies than vinegar and that was something that she really lived uh, in in every debate and interaction she had, she was gracious to everybody, even when they didn't disagree, when they didn't agree with her.
8: And I will never forget watching her debate Sarah Weddington, and Phyllis Schlafly had fact after fact after fact, and Sarah Weddington, the abortion promoter, just tried so desperately to be liked by the people, and she would talk about emotions and she'd talk about feelings. But she could not utter a fact, and Phyllis Schlafly just absolutely won that debate.
1: And I want to talk about the future of Eagle Forum because, I mean, you're certainly a huge part of that as being chairman, and Kathy is, and you have, I think one of the things Phyllis did was she wanted to make sure that she duplicated herself exponentially, and she succeeded in doing that across the country. I've met so many women who are leaders in various Eagle Forum chapters, and we certainly have strong women here in um in North Texas. So talk about the i mean how is it changing? How is it staying the same?
9: I think it's very important that we continue to appeal to younger women and and uh, let younger women know the kind of influence they can have on policy. Uh, one of the greatest things my mother did was to inspire women. To get involved in and have a voice in the political system and to influence policy because government policy affects all of us in everything that we do. And, and so the, the challenge for Eagle Forum as we move forward is to embrace the new issues that have come up, but also every time we think we've buried an issue, it comes back. And it's amazing to me that the issue that defined us in the 1970s, the Equal Rights Amendment, has popped its head back up. And here we are explaining what's wrong with equal rights and why men and women are not in every situation to, to young ladies who were but this could very well affect them if it were ever to be put into the Constitution.
1: Yes, and we've explained before you joined us, Anne, about how uh, some states are now trying to ratify it that didn't before and saying that it's on its way now to being an amendment to the Constitution. But it's really dead, isn't it? It is, but the
9: important thing is to so that all the young ladies under the age of 50 understand why this pernicious amendment was defeated in the first place. I mean, that's the point, is that we, we need to explain these differences that men and women have and the, the, the harms and the losses that would happen to women if men and women, if we became a sex-neutral
1: society. And Kathy did a good job of, of beginning that explanation. I think one of the, the things that really pulls on your heart stream when you think about it is, you know, certain um, situations that exist to help women, for instance, a woman's shelter. I mean, we've seen cases where yeah. that uh, a transgender man, or a, that is, thinks that he's a girl, would come in, and the shelter would be forced to allow him to sleep in the same area. I mean, that's just one of them. With women who have actually probably experienced sexual abuse, so um, so many areas in which, even though ERA was supposed to help women, becomes detrimental to women.
8: Not only that's detrimental, right. and that's the
9: the 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 false promise of a poorly written language uh, where you just think that you can um you know wave a magic wand and all of a sudden men and women are equal without considering the the ramifications of doing uh, such a thing
8: and it has been said that lies and rule breaking are pushing e r a it's not something that women are calling for it's not something that there is rampant discrimination that under the Constitution, we already have everything. Women are already equal. We already have equal rights under the U.S. Constitution. What would happen with those of um, you know, different races or even those who are incapacitated in some way? Would they have to have also a special constitutional amendment in order to then become equal as men and women would supposedly become under the U.S. Constitution. First of all, we don't need it because the Constitution already gives us equal rights. And second of all, we don't want the Equal Rights Amendment for women. We don't need it. But also, we don't want a plethora of amendments for every other person, whether it be transgenders, whether it be mentally and physically handicapped, or even poor people constitutional amendments are not supposed to be used in such a flippant way and uh,
1: you want you have a comment to add to that
9: well, I was just going to say the start of the Constitution is we the people. And in the, beauty, the beautiful language of the 14th Amendment, it grants all persons equality of opportunity. And that is, I think, what Kathy's referring to is that we have that from the 14th Amendment.
1: Yeah, you almost dilute that when you start taking groups and giving them an amendment. And I want to, before I let you go, I want you to talk a little bit about Eagle Forum. I know there's just certain ways that you guys have operated over the decades and having a, a national conference, for instance, every year, uh, making sure that yeah. every woman who uh, works in eagle form or man or whatever uh, is um, t- well-trained in the issues in order to represent those issues in their state capital, things like that. So, I mean, is that is that just sort of like a well-oiled machine that existed as when uh, the Lord took Phyllis home and just continuing? Well, here's what we
9: have. We have a network of state uh, chapters and state leaders and state organizations. And these uh, eagles are dedicated to saving our country. They have local organizations. We also have a national conference that we have every year uh, where we bring in for training. And one of the things that we do with our national conference is that it isn't just speechifying. It's training on how to approach the issues. We also publish a monthly newsletter uh, that goes out on key issues that we mail to our supporters. And um, I invite everyone to join us. Our, our, our website is eagleforum.org. And the amount of information on a wide variety of topics that we have on our website is truly extraordinary. Yes. Because most organizations are single-issue but we delve into the interconnectivity of all of these issues. You, just, you can't be just a family organization and not talk about
1: economics yeah, and national totally defense. Ann, thank you so much for joining us today and for the work you're doing continuing Eagle Forum. Thank okay. you.
5: Welcome to the First Liberty Briefing. I'm Jeremy Dice. The reach of the First Amendment is extensive in securing the religious liberty of individuals and organizations, including colleges and universities. Recently, the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit issued its decision in Duquesne University of the Holy Spirit versus NLRB. When Duquesne, a Catholic university, refused to bargain with a group of adjunct faculty seeking to unionize, the National Labor Relations Board stepped in, recommending that the union be certified. But the D.C. Circuit Court rejected the NLRB's jurisdiction over the Catholic University. Judge Thomas Griffith, authoring the opinion, notes that our Constitution restrains government agencies from excessive involvement with religious organizations. Quote, the Establishment Clause limits governmental involvement in the affairs of religious groups and the Free Exercise Clause safeguards the freedom to practice religion, whether as an individual or as a part of a group. Well, that is critical, he said, because it means religious institutions retain the independence required to pursue religious activity, inculcate its religious identity, and teach according to its religious tradition. After all, the Constitution is meant to restrain government, not empower its creep into every aspect of our lives. The importance of this decision cannot be understated. Its immediate impact should be welcomed by religious colleges and universities around the country. Furthering the autonomy of religious institutions to be unapologetically religious and free from government intrusion is an unambiguous goal of the First Amendment. To learn how First Liberty is protecting religious liberty for all Americans, visit First Liberty.com.
6: Hi, I'm Kelly Shackelford, President and Chief Counsel of First Liberty Institute. I hope you enjoyed this episode of First Liberty Briefing. You can learn more amazing stories about how everyday Americans are standing up and saving religious freedom. Just visit firstliberty.org.
0: Now, back to Point of View, your listener-supported source for truth.
1: We're talking about the history of the conservative movement, of which Phyllis Schlafly and Eagle Forum are a great part. And Eagle Forum continues strong, as uh, Ann Schlafly-Corey just mentioned, really without missing much. I mean, that's the beauty of training people and duplicating yourself across the nation and making sure you've got well-trained people that really know the issues and are very uh, motivated to make a difference. So that's what's happened Now, I will uh um I want to ask Kathy about some of the groups that have arisen because when you have a good thing I guess <laughs> uh, others want to sort of uh assume the mantle of that good thing and so Eagle Forum continues with the same name it's had mm-hmm. but there are other groups that are some people might get confused because some other groups are out there.
8: Yeah there are other groups out there they like to um even adopt some of the words they'll even uh, call something a Phyllis Schlafly organization, but words are just that. The fact is that the leaders in every state have um, stayed with the original Eagle Forum, which is the one that was founded by Phyllis Schlafly, the one that Ann schlafly Corey and I work with, as well as does Uni Smith, who was there at the table when Phyllis Schlafly first came up with the name Eagle Forum. Yeah. So all of the uh, good folks are still with the Anne affleck and Original Eagle Forum.
1: Okay, so clear that up. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure uh, we did that. Mm-hmm. Kathy, you've joined us on Point of View so many times and been so gracious to report on United Nations Conferences on Environment and Climate. Mm-hmm. And you've watched the um, the global warming issue turn into the climate change issue because mm-hmm. people didn't believe in global warming, but mm-hmm. the climate changes. Mm-hmm. It's just a sort of an interesting title to call a crisis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not really a crisis. No, but you've done that, and you have been uh, in so many capitals of the world uh, at these conferences and watched the environmental movement try to take control, uh, really, of the world through sort of a global socialism. And that's what's been uh, used as the excuse is the climate. So, I mean, just since you have all that experience, can you just give us sort of a take on where that's going um, and how America, I mean, Trump pulled us out of the Paris Climate yes. Agreement, which is a really good thing. Yes.
8: But what's what's coming up? Well, I think that it's very important to know that a um, few years ago, I was sitting in Doha, Qatar, and Christiana Figueres, who was at that time, the executive of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, said very clearly that this is not about climate change. This is about transforming the global economy. And I've just been working on a piece for our next newsletter, the the, um, Eagle Forum Report, that um, calls this technocracy. It's something that came out of Columbia University back during the time of the Depression, the Great Depression in America, when people said Are capitalism and free markets going to work in the future? And definitely we have gone on to show that, yes, that's the only type of system that does work. But what these technocrats wanted to do was to give everyone a voucher for how much energy they could use and then charge them for how much it costs to produce that energy. That is what the climate change issue is all about. It is about a top-down control of how much energy you are allotted. There is no other better way to control every move that you make, every purchase, every every aspect of your life than to control the amount of energy and the source of energy that you can use. That's what climate change is all about. That's what the global warming issue is. And the reason they don't use global warming anymore is because for 20-some years now the, the, uh, the atmosphere has not warmed. So it's a very clear reason why that is not working anymore, and in, it's now called climate change. But we are not in a position as God is. He has not gotten off of his throne. He is not wringing his hands about climate change. He is in firm control. Yes, he is. He's yes. in
1: control of the climate. Yes. Sometimes I, th- I think of how arrogant it is for us to think that we can uh, control that, but it's it's pretty funny. So what uh, are – I know that, you know – and, uh Corey, made the point that all the issues that we deal with mm-hmm. here on this program that Equal deals with, there are a lot of the same issues, mm-hmm. are interconnected. Yeah. There are so many ways in which they are. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's kind of interesting to see the president that we have, President Trump, has picked up on so many of the Eagle Forum issues. Yes, he has. Uh, in in particular, and he's been a great pro life president. Yes. He's been a person that's wanted to get control of our border. Yes. He's been a person uh, that's wanted to get control of trade with China. Yes. And um, so you know, and gotten us out of the Paris Agreement. And which gotten us out of the fraud. Paris Agreement. Yes, absolutely. So these things are all connected. Mm-hmm. And I want to know. um I know that coming up. Uh, one thing that you're going to deal with in your uh, report is Hollywood and the new um, the new TV series that's coming out about Phyllis with, you know, mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett playing Phyllis. <laughs> um, do you know anything about it? And I know that you want to make sure people know who Phyllis was so that they are not buying into the Hollywood take on her.
8: Well, the Phyllis Lafley that I know was the most most gracious of women and the most brilliant of women. A woman who spent every night before she went to bed on her knees in prayer before our holy God. That is Phyllis Lafley. That was Phyllis Lafley. And Kate Blanchett, I'm just thinking, is not going to be portraying the gracious woman. She's not going to be portraying the uh, God fearing woman, the one who cared more for her children than she did. about um, even where her next meal was coming from. Phyllis was a sacrificial thinker, thinker of her time, her energy, her talents, sharing them with all of us, and certainly with her family first. And so I am very, very concerned about this movie, and we want people to know the the real Phyllis Lavely. And it was a woman, I, I just keep coming back to that one word, a very gracious woman. Yeah,
1: and a very effective one.
8: Yes, yes, and that's why. You know, it had to go together. If she was what Cape Blanchett wants to promote, which is probably going to be snarky, is probably going to be mean-spirited, is probably going to be um, maniacal, um, it, it wouldn't have worked. But why, why did the gracious Phyllis Schlafly work? It, it was because the very thing that Anne schlafly Curry said, you can draw more bees with honey than you can with vinegar. My grandmother said the same thing. And uh, But as a woman from Louisiana, she said from vinegar. Not vinegar, but anyway. Um, and so it was because of the grace that people w- surrounded her and wanted to go out and courageously do things that they never thought they would do, like speak from a podium. And Phyllis mm-hmm. taught us to do all those things. And I can remember sometimes I would feel like I had stripes on my back because you have to go. You have to learn this. You must go there. And uh, becoming a Republican National Committee woman or a chairman of a Republican Party, if I had never been trained by Phyllis Schlafly, I would never have said to the Lord, here am I, use me. I mean, I wished I had the tools. Yeah, I had She gave you the tools. Yes, and I had them. But I, I needed someone to nudge me along, and Phyllis Lafley was that person. Yeah,
1: and the thing is, is you're not the only one. They're yes. all over the place, and right. I've met many of them. Well, you know, we, another area, of course, mm-hmm. that, uh, Eagle Forum is dealing with today it, is technology, and we have one minute left, so we're not gonna deal with it today. Oh. I'm gonna have to have you back. Yes, uh, Kathy. <laughs> we can just do a, a couple segments on it, um, okay. because it's your next issue. Yes. Uh, or your current issue of, yeah. um, of the Eagle Forum Report, so we'll do that. But I want to thank you. I mean, I really want to thank you for how you've dedicated your life Mm -hmm. to this country and to bring godly principles and conservative principles uh, to the fore, especially here in the state of Texas, but now nationally also. And so thank you. Thanks for joining me, too. and
8: God be the glory, and thank you for the invitation.
1: Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, tomorrow we're going to kind of concentrate on some issues of parenting, adoption. And also Tim Winter from Parents Television Council will join me. And we will also unpack uh, today's results from the second Super Tuesday. What are uh, are the Democrats doing for their presidential nominee? nominee We'll see you then.
4: Well, not unless you consider major disputes in various Christian denominations, international tensions over a flu epidemic, economic uncertainties, and a presidential election important. Question, where will you get real news, credible opinion, clear biblical thinking on the things that matter most? Answer, Point of View Radio with Kirby Anderson and the team. You can make sure their voices continue speaking loud and clear by taking a moment right now and joining the Truth Team. It's easy, but you do have to visit our website or make a quick call. Go to pointofview.net slash team or call 800 347 5151. 51. You have the power to make a difference. Joining the Truth Team can help ensure that millions of people will get a different opinion from the major purveyors of fake news. We don't get big advertising dollars like the networks or tax money like PBS. We depend on you. Pointofview.net slash team and 800 347 5151. Point of View is produced by Point of View Ministries.